It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling Gulf Coast is the inspirational voice of Gulf Coast fishing and conservation. Hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist, conservationist, and flounder revolutionary, Chester Moore. Be ready for a relentless pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of fishing adventure. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. This is Chester Moore in the midst of our historic um, coastal free, or just Texas freeze event. And of course, the question on everyone's mind is what kind of a impact will it have in terms of losing fish along the coast? We've already seen some of that. For that, we have an expert. We're very honored today to have Dr. David McKee. He is a professor of biology and mariculture, but also author of Fishes of the Texas Laguna Madre. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. Good morning. Glad to be here, Chester. Well, you know, we are in a situation where people um, are starting to report seeing fish dying and things like that. But one of the questions I've been seeing people on social media ask is what exactly happened? So just at the very basis of this, what happens to fish and what kills fish during these events? Well, you know, basically, uh, they just, uh, their metabolic rates just shut down to zero. It's mm -hmm. just a, a very slow uh, death. Uh, gills aren't able to take up oxygen and they just uh, basically like it would happen to any of us if we were up in the high latitudes uh, just slowly die. You know we have these historical things to look at what's going on now on the Gulf Coast and most of the time the fish that die are in the shallower water where there's not as much um, opportunity for that fish to get maybe down to a more of a constant temperature. Yeah, uh, you know, to a certain point, uh, water deeper water does offer a, a bit of a thermal refuge. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, when the water is destratified and and reaches that lower lethal temperature, which happens to be for trout probably forty five degrees for twenty four hours, uh, water is destratified and there's no more thermal refuge. So. That's what we've seen in, uh, in the past and probably what we're experiencing as we speak. Yeah, it's interesting. You have different fish. I was just on the phone with some of the people from the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. They said tarpon can die at 48, uh, start having problems with tarpon and different things like that. So uh, what about redfish? Uh, what's their tolerance? Are they a little more tolerant? <clears throat> a little bit more tolerant. Mm -hmm. uh, seems to, rather than that 45, 46 range, redfish seem to come uh, about 40 to 42 so they, they can handle a little bit more but again once we reach those uh, water temperatures that are in the high 30s or even low 40s it doesn't matter how tolerant you are you're gonna you're gonna die uh, regardless yeah, and of course, we look back at the 1989 um, freeze event that's documented in your book. Uh, can you just tell us, uh, you know, the scale of what happened? I don't think most people, unless they were there, uh, realize the scale of fish kill that happened at 89. Well, let, let me do this, Chester, if I can. I just pulled the book out to refresh my memory, but yes, looking sir. at some of the historical fish kills, there was even one in the uh, Cabeza de Baca uh, uh, logs of 1527. Wow. Uh, there was a fish kill, uh, 1820, throughout the 1800s. Uh, 
just bringing things up to 1940, that was at the time considered to be a benchmark historical record for freezes mm-hmm. until we uh, hit the uh, 1951 freeze and then shortly thereafter the 1955 freeze and then the new standard was 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the book covers, uh, for anybody interested, uh, all these freezes uh, up until the uh, 1997 freeze. I haven't had anything, uh, I haven't updated it at that point. But uh, some of the comments that were from excerpts from newspaper articles, uh, the 1820 uh, freeze, uh, 20 and 21, was bitterly cold, uh, so cold that the Galveston Bay complex completely froze over. In 1945-46, that uh, that freeze, General Zachary Taylor bivouacked on the shores of Corpus Bay during the winter of 45-46 and reportedly fed an army of 5,000 with fish-killed uh, fish. Uh, 1889, New Aces Bay completely froze over from shore to shore. Ice was so thick, people rode horses across the bay. Uh, local housewives had to buy their, their milk in chunks because it froze inside the delivery boys' cans. Wow. And in Port Aransas, which was at that time called Tarpon, the cove service in the boat harbor was frozen over, and citizens spent Sunday morning walking on the ice among the boats and picking up fish to line the shores. So just to, uh, you know kind of go back and look at what some of the reports showed those hills to be like, and we'll be able to compare this freeze uh, later on. But, uh, you know, I, I have temperatures in there for uh, what those free water temperatures and air temperatures were like on some of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the problems that we've had with past freezes, even comparing 83 and, and the two that we had in 89 was, all the early reports uh, listed their fish in terms of pounds rather than in numbers. So there's really no way at all to go back and do that. But uh, uh, in 1947, uh, very large trout to eight pounds were reported so thick on the surface of Baffin Bay that they appeared like pepper on the white of an egg. Wow. Lots of, lots of snook were killed in the, Brownsville Ship Channel. Uh, one of the things that's important about these freezes or that dictates how severe they're going to be is uh, how uh, quickly the temperature drops. Uh, been the worst have been those that have uh, dropped dramatically uh, with very little tempering mm-hmm. or acclimatization proceeding. And uh, I would say this year we... Some will say this has been a pretty tough winter, but really it's been a mild winter. Very much so. Uh, so we, uh, there's been very little acclimation, and this temperature did drop very quickly, uh, relatively speaking. So I think we're in, in for a big one. I think that's uh, probably evident by the number of sea turtles. We've got a network that uh, we established in uh, uh Right after the 83 freeze, when I saw so many big trout killed in the land cut, we've got the Barge Canal Group uh, on board with us. They're stopping. It's all voluntary, but they are uh, abiding 
mm-hmm. by stopping traffic through the land cut. But uh, we have a network that uh, Donna Shaver with the Sea Turtle Program, CCA, mm-hmm. Texas Parks and Wildlife, they follow this to, uh, for example, uh, Parks and Wildlife to shut off fishing in certain areas yeah. during these cold spells. Mm-hmm. But just this morning, I pulled down an email that, that came in and said uh, that with the sea turtles, since you brought that up, so it, this so far has been the biggest uh, stunning event since the program started in uh, 1980. Wow. Yesterday, yesterday uh, 1,846 turtles were picked up in Texas, all three of all but three of them were greens. The three that the other three were uh, loggerheads, much right. larger turtle, mm-hmm. with about fifty percent of them alive. But so far this winter, uh, four thousand one hundred fifty-eight uh, turtles uh, stunned or killed uh, this winter, and the closest to that was uh, the winter of seventeen eighteen, where thirty-seven hundred. But the majority of these have come from the lower Laguna Madre of the 4,100, uh, 3,200 have come from the lower lagoon and the uh, upper lagoon uh, was, and Corpus Bay were second with uh, about 600. That is a lot of turtles. And, uh, that's a lot a, of turtles. Yeah, that's you a know? shame. Incredible animals. So um, this morning, the air temperature at Bird Island Basin was still 34. And uh, we're predicting that the air temperature is uh, going to remain below the threshold of 46 degrees Fahrenheit until Saturday morning. So we've still got stunning, or in the case of fish, killing going on. Uh, In 1983, when I did my survey with the late Dr. Henry Hildebrand, we didn't go down the lagoon that front started on uh, right, right at christmas we didn't go down for i think eight or nine days and fish were still coming up wow by that time the water temperature had reached 60 finally and uh we're we're saying you know you're finding fish now but until the water warms up and they start gassing up and start floating we're really going to have no indication of what the big picture is really like yeah, and that actually, uh, that's, that's a, I was about to ask you that, is like what time frame would we look at in terms of seeing the overall impact? Because it does seem a little bit early to have so much in some areas making me kind of question what's going to happen a week from now, two weeks from now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some of the bay trawls, are, they're doing bay trawls right now, Parks and Wildlife, Coastal Fisheries, mm-hmm. but those will only pick up what the net happens to encounter. So, you know, you may make a 15-foot wide swath and pick up fish, but you don't know what's 15 feet away on either side. So mm-hmm. it really takes that warming water temperature and the, the fish to, to bloat, to gas up and start floating before we really know what what's going on. Uh, one, of the, Go ahead. one of the things about the, uh, the freezes historically, looking back into the 1800s, is these things seem to occur or do occur on an average of every seven years. Okay. And uh, the uh, situation is that historically from commercial catches and recreational catches, it takes generally about five years for the populations to return to pre-freeze levels. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about redfish, trout, and drum primarily. Sure. 
So I think we're going to be in for it. Uh, you know, the thing about 1983, uh, we didn't see anybody else on the bay. I'm sure today there are all kinds of skinny water boats running up and down the shorelines looking. But, uh, you know, there's so many more fishermen today than there were in the 1980s, which mm-hmm. uh, is good. But uh, a, a kill like we are probably going to experience is going to impact a lot more fishermen than were fishing uh, in the nineteen early 1980s. Yeah, and also on the aspect of, you know, a lot more charter captains and those kind of things as well in yeah. the industry that will be economically yeah. impacted potentially. And, um, yeah. you know, it's an interesting thing because the Texas coast has such a variety of habitat. I live on Sabine Lake, so I live a few miles from Sabine Lake. And um, I went out yesterday and looked, found one dead trout, a pretty big one on Louisiana shoreline. We couldn't go too far because it got really rough. And um, But looking in the marsh, I could see vultures working and a lot of gulls working in the interior of the marsh, making me wonder what was going to dump out of that, you know, the, the back bay lakes and stuff like that. And then you got to think yeah. about going down the way down to like South Bay, down on the very bottom of the coast. And uh, a mm-hmm. lot of habitats here. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is we've, had some of our more tropical fish moving north. I mean, a seven-pound snook two years ago caught in the Natchez River north of Sabine Lake and mangrove snapper in Galveston Bay. Is there a chance, for example, yeah. a like mangrove snapper could be knocked back because of this? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's going to be uh, something. We, In my recollection, we didn't encounter very many mangroves uh, in the previous freezes, but just in the last... 10 years or so, they have really come on, the mm-hmm. uh, population. I didn't realize that, that they had, uh, a snook had uh, been noted as far up as, as the Sabine, as you're Yeah, I did my radio show two years ago, and a guy calls, and he says, we're talking about weird catches in the area. He goes, man, I caught a huge snook under the Rainbow Bridge in the Natchez River. Mm-hmm. When the trout were moving up the river, it was really dry that year. And he sent me the picture of it, and I confirmed the location and everything. And uh, I'd never heard of one here. I mean, I've heard of a couple of TPWD samples catching little little snook in Galveston before. But uh, that was the first one. And and the mangrove have been here for at least a decade, but not a lot. But it's just it's something that was like, oh, somebody sent me a picture. I caught a snapper in Sabine Lake. What is this? It's not a red snapper. It's a gray snapper, a mangrove. And I've actually, when I talked to TPWD before, they said the reason they weren't regulating those because they figured one big freeze event, they're going to be pushed back anyway. Yeah, yeah. I saw a, a report that uh, I think it was in our area here where a three-foot tarpon had uh, mm-hmm. washed up on uh, – one of the canals here, either in Aransas Pass or out on Padre Isles here on the Laguna. Mm-hmm. But uh, as you mentioned, talking to the tarpon folks, uh, tarpon are very, very susceptible, being almost totally tropical in their, uh, mm-hmm. at least in their early life stages, uh, going to be hit pretty bad. If, But, you know, hopefully they're typically... We don't find the tarpon here this time of the year. Yeah. They're usually gone by October. Mm-hmm. But in 1980, I, I had uh, two catches of snook in the Baffin Bay, and at the time, that was just uh, of record. I mean, nobody had ever heard of a snook up uh, above South Bay, uh, Lower Laguna. And now, even though the salinity is limiting how many snook come out of the uh, Upper Laguna, especially Baffin, 
we've all seen the, the rise in the snook populations uh, in our area just just out of sight almost at times. It's a, it's, so, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to think about that, you know, because when you think of the Texas coast, the first thing that comes to mind are red specks and flounder. And uh, maybe you'll be lucky one day and see some tarpon working out in the surf, but uh, you think of snook and mangrove snapper, sort of the more tropical type of fish. And speaking of tropical fish, part of that habitat that's down like in South Bay in those areas is like mangroves. Um, what about the habitat impact that some of these freezes could happen? Could it impact seagrass or could it impact mangroves and those kind of things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, mangroves will be knocked back. The black mangrove that we've got, uh, several of the freezes, uh, it, uh, the what was written about them mentioned how denuded the bays were for extended periods of time with uh, the halidouli, our shoal grass, and, and so forth, following some of these major freezes. So, mm-hmm. you know, habitat is and can be uh, very much affected by, by these uh, cold spells. Yeah, but Mother Nature taketh away as quickly as she giveth. Yeah, that's what <laughs> and, it seems uh, like. You know. Partly, yeah. And, you know, but it's good to hear, you know, that for people who've never heard of this, I mean, there's a lot of people on social media now, they're like, I've never, I moved to Texas and I like to fish. I've never heard of this thing happening, that it's not like the fishery will never come back. You know, there is a comeback time, but there's also a point here, I believe, to where we as anglers and those who consume this resource have an opportunity to be really good, maybe even better stewards moving forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was looking for something here that I, I thought the the audience might be interested in. It was uh, following the uh, 1951 freeze, uh, came in slowly on January 28th. The air temperature remained between 19 degrees and 25 degrees for the following five days. Uh, the uh, What was pretty amazing about that, that was... Uh, 1951, let me jump back to 1940, uh, about 90 million pounds of fish were killed there. But uh, by 19, uh, that was in the winter. By March of 52, one gill net set uh, by the land cut yielded three south trout that weighed 15 pounds each. What? Uh, the overall rapidity of the increase was attributed to fish migrating from the Gulf and or from the bays. By 1954, the redfish and trout populations were considered to be at their normal levels. So that takes us back to the uh, about five years for the populations to, to recover. But yeah, uh, the 15 pounds uh, trout are uh, far and few between when I when I did my survey in the land cut, one of the reasons I uh, uh, went down there and spent the time that I did was to try to find that 38 to 40 inch trout. Yeah, I'm not I'm not only a biologist, but I started out as a fisherman, right? Uh, fisherman. Yeah, and I wanted to find that record trout just to say, yeah, they do exist. Mm-hmm. I couldn't kick over enough fish in the limited amount of time. There were three to four high deep. The largest fish I found was 33 and a half. But I know that those, those fish were lying for 26 miles down the land cut. They were just solid. So we made a run a couple miles down 
nothing changed. Come back. I didn't see any monsters laying up on the beach, so we didn't didn't get out and kick dead fish over. But I was a bit surprised that that uh, the li- limited amount of time that I was able to spend on the beach there, that on the beach the shores of the land cut, that I didn't find one of those monsters. But I feel certain they were there. Well, you, you, I'm still stuck on the three 15-pounders in the nets. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, you, know, yeah. Uh, you think yeah. about that, and that's that. Those are incredible fish, and there, you know, there could be that fish out there. You know, uh, yeah. could be that new state record, or maybe a new world record. Who knows? Well, one of the I think bright spots in all this Chester is the fact that it's widely known that the younger of a species, we're talking about fish, mm-hmm. are less susceptible to freeze freeze kills than the larger fish. So one of the reasons those populations spring back as quickly as they do, uh, taking into account they may migrate from the Gulf or from other bays, is the fact that uh, the the young ones are not killed and only the adults are. So mm-hmm. I think anybody looking uh, during this time at the beaches, you're going to find that. You're mostly going to find your 15, 16 inch trout on up and very few of the small fish. So that's probably a blessing in itself right there that allow the fishery to recover quicker is because the, the uh, juveniles are, are saved. Well, that's that's good news, and I think that's a good place for us to end our first conversation. I'd love to have you baby back on later on after we find out more of what happened. Uh, yeah. We do appreciate you taking your time and your expertise. And um, Yes, sir. And where can people get your book? Can they get it on Amazon? Yeah, Amazon. Uh, I, I really had a lot of fun writing it. Uh, it's uh, I've got all the species of time that were common in the upper Laguna Madre, and I tried to tell a story about each one of them. So it's uh, it's uh, I was glad I had a copy here available so I could go back and review some of these for this uh, podcast. Well, I will uh, certainly be ordering. I'm going to order as soon as I get off the recording here. I want to order it for myself for my own reference, and uh, we appreciate your time and your expertise. You've been listening to Higher Calling Gulf Coast with award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist, Chester Moore. Email him at chester at chestermore.com. Check out his wildlife writings at highercalling.net and find him at the Chester Moore on Instagram.